The Michael Myers Minute, where we delve into the 1978 horror classic Halloween one minute at a time. I'm your host, Robert Buck. Minute 26, Lori is wary because she has seen the shape three times today. She is almost home, Linda is gone, Annie is gone, but Alex Thompson of Galaxy Quest Minute and Cleveland in Six is not gone. Welcome back, Alex. Thank you for having me. Didn't know you had all the voices. Uh, yes, I have plenty of impressions. All of them terrible. Oh, to sent you some scripts. <laughs> uh, First script bit we have for this minute is... I was talking about the wind last minute. A strong wind rises and blows her hair in front of her face. Mm. That doesn't... Well, actually, in this minute, it does happen. There is wind, briefly, but they weren't controlling it. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit. You can see her hair moving. Because, actually, the first goof in this minute... Uh, don't worry, Alex. Don't worry, listeners. There are only two for this minute. As Lori is walking home from school, a leaf, or some other debris, it's a leaf, is briefly seen stuck in her hair when she turns back, looking towards where Michael was. The leaf is gone. That's wrong. Second ten, you can still see the leaf when Lori spins around. Her hair is just partially covering it. Hmm. But again, I was slowing it down and freeze-framing and nitpicking, because I don't like the IMDb goof page. Hmm. So, that was the first goof. Yes. <laughs> Yuck! <laughs> And the man she bumps into is Lee Brackett, Annie's father. Mm. Uh, described as a tall man in a county sheriff's uniform script. The name of the character is a reference to the screenwriter of Rio Bravo, mm-hmm. directed by Howard Hawks, who also made The Thing from Another World, which we will see in Minute 45 and Minute 48 in this movie. And germane to the interests of some of the movies by Minutes listeners, one of the drafts of Star Wars. Lee Brackett did? Uh, yeah, the Star Wars Minute guys always reference the uh, Lee Brackett draft. Huh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, it was uh, Empire, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I just lost all my credibility. <laughs> You're referencing a script from like 40 years ago, it's okay. Yeah, Lee Brackett did the first draft of Empire. Lee, from the Old English, refers to a meadow. As I mentioned in Minute 21, Bracket is a surname comes from the old French brachet, mm. which is a type of hound, and to bracket is to enclose. So the sheriff, and this isn't Carpenter's doing since he stole the name, mm. is basically named Meadow Bracket, which could perhaps be a fence, hmm. which I think is a good name for a sheriff. Or Meadow Hound, either way, good name for a sheriff. Hmm. Now, Alex, I never got to question three last minute mm-hmm. because I was saving it for here. What does your name mean? Um, well, Thompson, uh, just means son of Thomas. So somewhere back in time, there was a Thomas and he had a son. Alex, uh, so the short form of Alexander, which I believe comes from the Greek meaning a defender of man. Nice. Obviously, Ander, that same ending, that same, uh, Greek root that you see in names like Anderson as well as Andrew. And then I think the name rose to prominence from Alexander the Great. Yeah. So that's me. <laughs> Uh, I don't think I've talked about mine. Robert means bright fame, mm. which is good since my last name is Black. So bright fame, but black. Light and darkness. I like it. And my middle name is Robert, but I never knew that it meant a thing. But good to know. Lee Brackett is played by Charles Cyphers. Charles Cyphers' previous acting credits. Uh, oh, there's a lot. Mm. Shall we run down the list? Do it. 
Okay, Cool Breeze, the FBI, Cannon, the Slams, the FBI Story, the FBI versus Alvin Carpus, Public Enemy Number 1, the Missiles of October, Truck Turner, Isis, Vigilante Force, the $6 Million Man, the Bionic Woman, Phyllis, Assault on Precinct 13, Gibbsville, Charlie's Angels, Roots, the Tony Randall Show, Dog and Cat, Our Town, MacArthur, The Trial of Lee Harvey Oswald, Barnaby Jones, Wonder Woman, The Betty White Show, Alice, Coming Home, Grey Lady Down, and he would be in Someone's Watching Me, which Carpenter filmed right before Halloween, but it wouldn't air until November of 1978. Is there going to be a quiz on that no okay good it's a lot of tv shows from the 70s and apparently he played cops a lot yeah i could see that he's one of those actors who who seems to like be typecast as a authority figure yeah. police officer type especially after halloween because he got famous mm. now according to chaos comics halloween lee brackett dated judith myers oh. as did many people mm. before she died she was very popular with athletes especially oh uh-huh. who was she now <laughs> <laughs> and her murder in 1963 is the reason he became a cop. Oh. Which I kind of like that detail. Yeah. So, since this is the debut of this character, how... <laughs> what are your thoughts on him? Because I tried to sort of take this minute in a vacuum. Okay. And I didn't like him. In this minute? I'm thinking maybe maybe my 21st century eyes are just too attuned to look for creepy male authority figures. But let's suppose, hypothetically speaking, he turns out to be a bad guy. Yeah. Rewatch this minute from that lens, and it perfectly works. Oh, especially because as he leaves, where is it, second 27, he's smoking a pipe. That's why he's standing in the front lawn. Mm. You know, standing in the lawn smoking, yeah, that screams villain. Well, I was thinking, like, if you see the girl who's walking and not paying attention, then you should probably be the one to get out of the way. <laughs> and I was thinking, like, maybe he was using it as an opportunity to, you know, like, cop a feel on the young <laughs> nubile high schooler or something. Like, I know I'm, I'm imprinting a whole lot of... 21st century sensibilities on this character but it's okay i have fuel for that in a moment okay if you want if you think that's what he's going for this scene in the novel is very different because she bumps into him she screamed dropping her books she tried to run but the hand clutched her arm too tightly over her right shoulder she caught the shadow of a big man vaguely remembering some judo moves her gym teacher had taught her uh, for warding off would-be rapists she shifted her weight grasped the man's wrist and stuck her leg between his momentarily she expected to feel the cold steel of a blade plunging into her stomach or slicing across her throat then she noticed the color of his sleeve navy blue and she relaxed and he proceeds to show her how to do the move properly that she just failed to do uh... so it's a little bit of what you're talking about and a little bit of her thinking about death, which she's been doing in the novel a lot. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just I, I have the minute playing on loop here. And like I said, just in a vacuum, not knowing the status of this character, I would totally buy that he is he's actually like behind something or other or that he's a creep or something. <laughs> it, it could, uh, you know, could just be completely innocent. But and he's got the great line, you know, it's Halloween. I guess everybody's entitled to one good scare, huh? Maybe he just stands in the lawn just to scare people because it's Halloween. Uh, that's his thing. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's another thing that wouldn't age very well. I'm sure nowadays if if one of your neighbors just stood on the lawn and waited for kids to come by and just, you know, <laughs> gave him jump scares on Halloween, you'd think he needed to be, like, notifying the neighbors when he moves into the neighborhood. But If he had a costume, it might be okay, but he's just still in his work uniform. He, he Yeah, he's just in his work uniform. 
Also a sign of the white privilege that she notices the color of his sleeve and sees it's a policeman's blue and goes, ah, whoo, I'm safe. Although in the movie, he's not wearing blue, right? <sighs> I don't have the screen up. His jacket's brown. Yeah, yeah. They, it got turned into this brown color. But same, they didn't have their costume yet, so it's fine. Bracket shows Lori how to fight off an attacker coming from behind her, and she successfully flips him onto the lawn before heading the rest of the way home. That's from the novelization. It takes like a couple of pages, too. It's very detailed. Instead, she just says, yes, sir. Nice seeing you, sir. Mm-hmm. And keeps walking. Mm-hmm. And yeah, second 27, we see that the reason he's in the lawn is he's sitting there smoking a pipe. Mm-hmm. I promised two goofs. The second IMDb goof for minute 26. Walking home from school, the girls are seen to be traveling along a very dry street. However, when Lori is left alone, the streets are obviously now wet. Yes. For a couple reasons. Uh, Second 37, we switch locations. We're now on Fairview Avenue, just around the corner from Oxley Street, where Lori's house is. The wet ground here, marked as a mistake, given the dry ground in the previous walking, seems wrong since there's a cut and a change of location from Montrose to Fairview, and a change of action before the cut Lori was still on the sidewalk. Here she's angling across the sidewalks if she just crossed the street. Not an air of continuity, simply an unexplained wet road. Yeah, I could totally just buy that as uh, someone's sprinklers. Well, there's a guy in the background doing, like, gardening. Like, he's raking. Gardening, yeah. So I'm like, maybe he just watered his lawn and went nuts with the nose. In reality, it had rained. I mean, the street, yeah, I would say the street itself is also wet, but yeah. Well, yeah, he would have had to go crazy with the hose. But in reality, it had rained in between shots because they moved to a different location. This is, I believe it's 11 blocks from where they just were. Mm -hmm. So they had to wait for the rain to stop and then film. And Carpenter mentions it himself in the commentary track. Mm Yep. And then Lori gets to her house, 1115 Oxley, which is on the corner. She approaches it from the east, uh, where she exited before, is on the north side, minute 12. And second 40, she looks behind her one more time, so she's still being a little cautious. And then second 46, a child off screen makes a strange sound. Could be a laugh, could be a pain to cry. Lori pauses a moment and glances down the street, and the minute ends. This minute has even less going on than the last one. Hmm. In a way, that's a good thing with this movie. A lot of the minutes are quiet and long. Yeah. It also makes it hard to talk about sometimes. Yeah. Uh, the the chill, the giggling children, which is such like a, a creepy trope nowadays, we think about it as. Yeah. As we'll see in the next minute. Well, not to spoil it, but it's not. It's nothing bad. Hmm. But that noise does sound less like a laugh and more either a creepy laugh or a cry of some sort. Mm-hmm. So I was looking into Mr. Brackett and it led me down a rabbit hole of <laughs> the authority figures, especially cops in slasher movies. Yes. Cause I was having a hard time coming up with any who are useful, I guess. Almost none. Uh, so I found a list. Yeah. Unlo- well, you, yeah, because usually the, the function of a cop is to say, it's okay. You're safe now and you're never safe now. So, so the I found this list online. I'll send you, I'll send you the link. Uh, highlighted Officer Dorf from Friday the Thirteenth, who was on screen for all of like two minutes. Okay. David Arquette as Dewey Riley in I guess all the Scream movies. Yeah, he might be the most successful one because he survives multiple movies. Yeah, the most successful. Yeah, he he certainly mm, he kind of grows into being uh, you know competent, but yeah. Uh, Although he wasn't supposed to survive the first one. No. Yeah, it's true. Screenings, they liked the character, so they filmed him still being alive. And people just, yeah, 
they liked him. It's like, no, kill him. And uh, highlight. Let's see. The list also highlights Sheriff Garris and Deputy Rick Cologne from Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, who were, I guess, entertaining. I don't know if they were effective. Uh, the one I truly did forget: uh, Chris Sarandon as Mike Norris in Child's Play. Oh yeah, I forgot about him. Yeah. Um, who does eventually? Get, you know, he is eventually convinced that yeah, there's a little uh, killer doll, and then. Uh, you know, is competent-ish and helpful. Uh, and then this list also highlights Charles Cyphers here as Sheriff Lee Brackett. He does survive. And, uh... He's not very helpful. Yeah. He disappears at the beginning of Halloween too, but he does survive. Yeah, I think this list is almost highlighting more, like, the good performances, as yeah. opposed to people who are, like, actually good at their jobs. Well, it's not that they're even bad at their jobs. It's, yeah. it's the point of the slasher film is a yeah. bunch of young people going into a world where they can't depend on adults. And in this movie, they're even... Yeah, and, and vulnerable people yeah. rising to overcome a monster. And, you yeah. know, there's less of that if you've got a cop and a riot-a-ton and or a, a right. gun and a riot-a-ton and so on. That's why... A good chunk of this film, Loomis just stands around doing nothing. Mm-hmm. He disappears for a while. He's there to tell everyone, this is horrible. Some bad thing's going to happen. And then he kind of just, he's doing nothing until the very end. Does something important and it fails. Yeah, Spoilers. <laughs> I have exposition to deliver. Yes. I have exposition to deliver and then I will exit stage right. It's good exposition. He's a great character in that regard. But the point in a slasher film is the young people have to figure out how to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's how the world works. They're growing up; they have to be able to do it. Sure. And this, the three girls are, or well, two of them are babysitting. They're playing at motherhood at the same time that they have to deal with this real world problem that they can't defend themselves against mm-hmm. until they have to. Yeah. So speaking of slashers, it's something that's always a bit of an interesting question. Why does in in some movies the answer is obvious, but in this movie, why does Michael? seem to play with his victims or or why i guess in any movie does michael not just kill him he's got to kill him and then do something you know to their bodies or he's gonna show up uh spoiler from much later in the movie he's gonna show up wearing the sheet that the boyfriend you know what is the the purpose of the theatricality and the the whimsy or or slash sadism of michael myers like freddy krueger we know that he is he enjoys the 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 sadism of yeah he's having a good time uh yeah of having a good time and torturing people um jason Voorhees, i i guess you'd say the same sort of thing is that he enjoys being creative although although jason is very animalistic i i mean yeah, he's more frugal, yeah. just do what he has to do at the time. Yeah, but like it's hard to because Michael is not stupid. No. So I don't I don't it's a weird He hangs a large young man yeah. upside down in a closet later. He clearly knows how to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it it's just it's an interesting dilemma, like the in universe reason for for creativity in the kills. Like, obviously, we know the reason is so that it's not just, you know, you got stabbed through the chest with a big knife. You got stabbed through the chest with a big knife. Well, there's, you know. there's two parts here. It, the one hand, there is a good reason in-universe, in this movie, and partly from the novel, as to why he takes his time. Like, why he keeps watching Annie before he kills her. He doesn't just kill her as soon as he gets to her. Mm-hmm. Why he follows people. It doesn't necessarily apply to him dressing up in the sheet and stuff like that. 
that's more of a philosophical argument, which I think I talked about in a previous minute about the anonymity of Halloween costumes, which we can actually also talk about in minute 27. But he takes his time because he's, in the novel, he's dealing with this voice that wants him to kill people, and he doesn't quite want to kill people. He still has a six-year-old voice in them that doesn't. He's almost fighting it off. Mm. And so the longer he, and it even says a couple times, like when he shows up at the laundry room later, he even thinks in one chapter that he could have killed her, but he, he like she got away from him at that door, and so he had to wait, which isn't quite what shows up in the movie. So does the novel then include uh, Loomis's speech about, uh, you know, I met this child and he was purely and simply evil and so on and so forth? Because that would almost seem to contradict that if it's the idea that, that it's it's a schizophrenia situation. No. Or a split personality type of thing. In the novel, in the novel, Michael wasn't, Michael wasn't quiet. Hmm. Like, he was weird. He bothered people and bad things happened around it, but he talked. Oh. And an early chapter of the novel, he is the one who suggests they have a Halloween party and Loomis goes along with it so he can try to catch him doing something bad. And it doesn't work. Almost gets a girl killed, but Michael talks and does things when he's a little kid. It's only when he's an adult that he isn't talkative. That... Hmm. But that doesn't fit with the movie version. Did Rob Zombie's young Michael Myers talk? I can't remember. I've watched that movie once. Yes, but not very much. Yeah, he he was not chatty, but he was... He was more like an angry, brooding thing. Wow, it almost sounds like <laughs> Rob Zombie's Halloween is based off of that early <laughs> script a little bit. Well, a little bit. It with his thing with like the rage that is building up in Michael. It's similar to mm -hmm. what the novel has, where it's the spirit of this Celtic kid named Enda, mm -hmm. who is was cursed to keep reliving his murder that he committed over and over. Mm -hmm. Which is a stupid curse if you think about it. Make sure because it, it makes people keep killing people. Mm -hmm. But so Michael has to kill people on this night because this voice inside him wants him to. Mm -hmm. So it's it's actually closer to the Rob Zombie version in a yeah. in a way, yeah. So, I I guess you're kind of leading me into another thing I wanted to talk about. Okay. Then is what are your thoughts on the idea of rebooting Halloween's continuity again? The new one, because it seems like now they're kind of trying to play with his motivations and actions again. Well, yeah, the new one is ignoring everything but the first. And Everything but the first, yeah. Until I see it, I can't completely dismiss that. Maybe it'll be fine. Mm -hmm. As a concept, I don't like it. Yeah. Like, I did. I I'm one of the few people who would like defend Halloween 5 and 6. You know, I enjoyed hmm. them at the time. I was the right age to appreciate them as the slasher film fun they were. And in the comics, mm -hmm. the, the Chaos comics, they make an effort to connect. Halloween 6 into the H20 rebooted timeline so that both can exist together. Mm -hmm. And I like it. It works. It's They're making a little effort to try and make it happen, and it does. Mm -hmm. But now when you go back again and even ignore H20 and Resurrection, where we've already seen Laurie Strode, the concept is weird to me, but it looks like the movie might be good, so yeah. i got to weigh the two things together. Yeah. To my mind... I I initially I was skeptical because I'm just like why are they why are they going back to this well but also like 
removing more movies from continuity. But the more I thought about it, the more it feels almost comic book like. Like if you think about the events of this movie, like uh, like the death of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Yeah. And then any subsequent movie is just whatever Batman story you wanted to tell. Yeah. If this movie is your basically your fixed or fixed ish point, then you know you can go off into a new what if you know a Tim Burton Batman or a you know or a, uh, a Bruce Tim Batman or any kind of a story you want to go to from there. Um, now I'm imagining a Joel Schumacher Halloween movie. Ugh. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, I will. Are we saying a Joel Schumacher doing Batman Forever and Batman and Robin Halloween movie, or just a Joel Schumacher? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Yes, it's like it's all comedic, and Loomis, Loomis has a costume. Yeah, because uh, Joel Schumacher could be a competent director. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's made good movies. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. But yeah, That's interesting. I like that idea. That it's like the origin story treated like a comic mm-hmm. book and comic books reboot all the time with like crisis on infinite earths and zero hour and so many other ones since i stopped reading comic books regularly yeah. that reset like they redo the superman origin yeah the batman origin it, but it's basically the same with a little bit different yeah it's it's so, yeah. you retell the origin a little differently if there's some kind of a plot element that you want to bring into it you know um yeah i mean everyone thinks of it now being a standard element of the the wayne murders of the wayne's murders but the the pearls falling to the ground and and the string of pearls falling to the ground and breaking is is an invention of the 80s you know that was Frank Miller came up with that one, huh? Yeah. Uh, you know, and then each movie has used that because he had a thematic, it's a nice visual. Yeah. He and then everyone just said like, "Ooh, that's a really cool metaphor. I'm going to use that too." You know, so you you add in your little bits bits and bobs here and there that you want for whatever metaphors and and images you want to have, but like in general, you know, broad strokes, it's that's the same story and it's the setup for whatever else you're going to do. Yeah. Now the the new movie. I do think though that this this probably does have to be. I would think Jamie Lee Curtis's last time doing this because I don't know what more you could do to explore. Because you you've seen her battle Michael Myers as a young woman. Yeah. You've seen her battle Michael Myers as a mother. Yeah. You're going to see her battle Michael Myers as a grandmother. at least a grandmotherly figure. I think she's actually a grandmother. Oh, I, I just I didn't know if her, she actually is a grandmother in story, but at the very least, as a woman of that type of of that sort of age. But you know, we, we can't really. You're gonna have her battle <laughs> Michael Myers as a geriatric person, uh, you know. <laughs> he'll they'll both have walkers. Yeah. So he'll be even slower. Yeah. Now the script for the new one in early drafts supposedly did reference at least Halloween two. Hmm. And kept some of that timeline in, and they tried bringing in some of the other stuff, but keeping her previous daughter when they've already excluded her made it too complicated, and they ended up simplifying it backward, mm-hmm. taking even more away. So, on the one hand, as I said, I think the movie looks like it might be good. On the other hand, I I really wish they'd kept it with the continuity because, sure. like the Friday the Thirteenth movies, no matter how bad how how bad any of them might have been. They do all fit together. Mm-hmm. Like they do make a sort of sense. Yeah, and I, I think it's just that we're so used to a particular type of continuity in movies. Yeah. 
like you mentioned like that that it, it feels weird when we don't get it yeah. the like the, and this is a weird one the x-men franchise has a shaky grasp on continuity continuity is there when they want it to be yes especially with certain characters you know you've got characters who change their actor who change their power change their age yeah their age like in those movies, continuity matters when the story needs it to, and it doesn't matter when it doesn't. Whereas you look at like the MCU, which is closer to a comic book. Yeah. Whereas like the MCU, it, continuity is, v- I won't say a hundred percent strict, but very strict in the MCU. Yeah. It's it's very uncomic book like in that way because they were creating it specifically to make it a movie thing, so they had to worry about it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's a weird thing that we get with the new Halloween is that it doesn't fit when we expect it to. Mm. At least the Rob Zombie remake, it was a remake. It wasn't supposed to fit. Mm -hmm. So this is different. Yeah. Any other? Well, as we can tell, I didn't have a whole lot else for this minute, but. This minute has very little going on. She's walking. Mm -hmm. It's not as bad as like minute 72 where it's just Lori crossing the street, but Mm. we're going to have some fun with that minute when we get to it. Uh, Yeah. That is all for Minute 26. Alex, remind the listeners, how can they stalk you? Uh, we can, I can be stalked um, on your podcatcher of choice. You can check out Galaxy Quest Minute, which recently concluded, or at the very least concluded its first season run, covering the 99 sci-fi classic Galaxy Quest, and also Cleveland in Six, which covers the 1989 sports comedy Major League. Uh, check out either of those on your podcatcher of choice. Also on your various social medias. Uh, the names are pretty intuitive, so I'm not going to bore you by reading them all off here. Uh, but that's me. And the Michael Myers Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Stalk us on Twitter at Facebook at Myers Minute or Instagram Michael Myers Minute. Or join the Facebook listeners group 45 Lampkin Lane. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave a nice review if you like what you hear. Until next time. See you later. Bye. Bye.